Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast with me, your host, Russell Guyver, giving you the big Albion preview ahead of the big kickoff this weekend. Um, with me this time, no Peter, he's too busy at the moment, but I have brought back into the equation Mr. Jack Phillips. Hello, Jack. Lovely to be here, Russ. Good to see you. Excellent. We also have the lovely Margaret back with us. Hello, Margaret Willis. How are how are you, madam? Hi, Ross. I'm very well. <laughs> Excellent. And we have to complete this wonderful quartet a debut, uh, a debutante. It is R- Richie Mills, who writes for the Sussex Live. Hello, Richie. Hi. Thanks for having me on. How are you guys? Absolutely fine. Yeah. Yeah. All the better for seeing you. And uh, welcome to the show. Um, we thought it'd be good to get you on, particularly at the timing now, because, of course, it's the big build-up to the season. There's a lot of articles you've been, you guys have been writing in terms of transfers, and obviously we have the friendlies to cover as well. So I'll get your opinions on on various bits to do with that as we go along. Um, probably starting with you, actually, Richie, because you've not been on before, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you come to write for Sussex Live and, and any more interesting bits of information? Uh, okay. Um, so I guess... Um, from a fairly early age, I realized I wasn't going to be a professional sportsman. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I basically, I think I started, uh, I started a, my own kind of blog during university and then, um, did a bit of work experience, um, and then did this journalism course called New Associates in Wimbledon. And it was, um, like 40 weeks long and it, uh, it was a mixture of work experience and then, I did, I did my shorthand, which was brutal, uh, passed on the eighth time of asking. Nobody <laughs> beats Richie Mills eight times in a row. Um, uh, and yes, yeah, so I passed that. And then I went into news journalism um, in the southwest. I started out in Wiltshire then made my way to Bath and Bristol. And then, uh, funny enough, well, not funny, but um, weirdly enough, there was um, nearly two years ago, uh reached the company I worked for they announced like mass redundancies and um 
loads of people's jobs were put at risk and then randomly they they i just saw these internal vacancies for um there was a, a new brighton website um there was a crystal palace one as well um and uh and a watford one and um i i think i got interviews for all of them but then they said we'd like you to do the brighton one um so yeah i started september 2020 um and to be able to obviously the pandemic was pretty rubbish from for pretty much everyone um so to have something to sort of look forward to every single weekend obviously there were no fans but it was i just felt like so like privileged and lucky to to report on an actual football team like it was just like mad it's just a kid's dream really um getting to see you know bryson every week and um yeah going to all the stadiums and i honestly just felt like a little every time i walked around like into the amex i just had like felt like a little kid at christmas it was just such a privilege um uh yeah and i've been doing it ever since and um now it's really cool because we get to do in-person press conferences instead of like zoom where you could pretty much just turn up in your dressing gown if you wanted you didn't really feel like a proper journalist um so now what i love is going to press conferences and um really and i'm going to the, the brighton training ground as well and yeah it's um what in your dressing <laughs> yeah yeah um, that would be interesting you should try that one week <laughs> hello graham <laughs> um so yeah it's just um i i love it um i'm very very fortunate to it so yeah that's that's me Fantastic. And you were saying off air, not originally from the well, not, not originally a Brighton fan, but you've taken them on as your second team. That's good to hear as well. I suppose you naturally have some kind of affiliation, don't you, over time if you keep covering the team. And obviously, I guess, subsidiarily, you want them to do well, don't you, essentially, anyway. And um, it's been good times as well. You've been covering a good era, that's for sure. Um, it's been the rise and rise, our highest ever finish last season, ninth. And we're hoping to try and achieve something along those lines this year. Um, getting into the subjects then for discussion, we've obviously got to talk about the transfers, first of all. Um, I'll start with the outbounders, because obviously um, those are the ones which particularly could affect us in terms of our position, depending on how people step up, how people adjust or what signings we might make. Um, the big three signings monetarily, I can see, are Eve Basuma who's been reportedly for 25 million, something that might rise. We're hearing to 35 million. Um, he's gone to Tottenham. He was in the last year of his contract. We were fully expecting him to go. That was kind of business that everyone was happy enough with, albeit that we're sorry to see him go. And I know, Jack, you actually had him down as your, and I think your dad did, as man of, as a player of the season, rather than Kukurea, who pretty much everyone else seemed to, to vote for. Um, no doubt those two were the two top players, um, I would say, on overall ratings. Um, so to lose this was expected, but disappointing nonetheless. Um, one other one is, of course, Leo, Leo Ostergaard, who went for, I think it's 9 million, potentially rising to 10, who's gone to Napoli, which is a fantastic bit of business. I think it's something like the fifth highest sale ever of an Albion player, something like that. And he's not played a first team game for us. He's been on some credible loans. Um, most recently in Italy with Genoa, which has no doubt grabbed the attention of the team he's gone to, Napoli. But nonetheless, that's an incredible bit of business, isn't it? We've got to say on that one. Um, I mean, who, who wants to go first on on those two signings or sales, I should say? Um, I'm very uh, 
sad to see go, but I think it was inevitable. And, and it, I'm really happy that he's ended up at, um, you know, a Champions League club. Um, and that, that I think uh, when we when we beat Spurs at, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium um, a few months ago, uh, I text my cousin because, of course, all my family are, are North Londoners and Spurs fans. I text my cousin. I said, "You should buy Basuma this summer because he's a hell of a lot better than Harry Winks." And uh, uh, I think you know Tottenham have made some really astute signings, and uh, Basuma's another one of them. But I also think it's a good deal for for the club for for a player with a year left on his contract. Um, uh, as is Ostergaard, which is astounding, really. We signed him for, what, 100000 I think it is? And yep. and sold him for, you know, nine or ten million. That's uh, uh, a good money ball working, isn't it? Yeah, superb. And maybe they could actually beat us in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Yeah, and maybe one day, yeah. <laughs> um, I think the thing about this, though, is that um, we have, we've had time. It's been a, a, something we knew is going to happen. We, we've negotiated for it we, we've got it we, we've got kind of potential people to replace um and Ostergaard as you say is just a, a plus really I mean out of nowhere quite quite incredible I, I mean it just shows when once you become a Premier League club even if you are a club like Brighton that you begin to have that kind of kudos and uh, people start taking you you know players more seriously yeah. I mean, Richie, we mentioned about the rise and rise during the time you've been covering them. And I think what Margaret said kind of ties in with that, doesn't it? I think that does have a little bit of an impact possibly on on the transfer figures, maybe. Who knows? That extra kudos of being a Premier League player or at a Premier League club, maybe maybe that helps. I don't know. Well, what do you think? Do you, how, how have you seen the perception of the Albion change in your time doing the job? Um well, I guess uh, one thing that's probably been a constant is the fact that, um, you know, you, you can't get a, a bargain out of Tony Bloom. You know, he's held steadfast on on his stances, um, which is good to see. But, um, yeah, I guess uh, the first game I covered, sorry to bring this one up, but it was um, Brighton 2, Manchester United 3, when they restarted the game, which almost made the final whistle seem obsolete. It's just like, what? This doesn't mean anything anymore. Ooh. I remember jokingly asking my dad, like on the first guy, I was like, "Are all games like this, Papa?" Um, <laughs> but um, I, I guess <laughs> the kind of yeah, the, the transformation in terms of obviously you know, they were kind of in and around the relegation zone to now being a, a you know a top ten club. I guess that trajectory is is you know very it's unbelievable. But uh, yeah, this that we saw the quality of players come in. Kukurea, and then I still think Mwepu can be fantastic on on occasion. I think against Arsenal last year, he was like brilliant. Like it was just fantastic to watch. Um, so I, I guess in terms of there's just a number of factors. You've got uh, a coach that um, is getting you know plaudits left, right, and centre. He's been linked with you know Manchester United, Tottenham, Arsenal, you name it. Um, and then you've got you know, um, at the very clear pathway for for the, um, the the youth players and the younger players coming through, um, which is maybe something you don't get at other teams. Um, and then, as Jack said, sort of you've got the money ball approach where you've you've got um, you know um, buy low, sell high. So I think all of these factors are just putting in in Brighton's favour, and I think that's 
Um, and there's so many people involved in that, you know, starting with Dan Ashworth as well, obviously no longer at the club, but I think there's just every single thing seems like Brighton just a very well run club and everything's going in the right direction. And that's becoming a more and more attractive sort of sell to people. It's not so much of a hard sell now. It's just like, okay, this is, this is a very progressive club and, and this is a place that, you know, you can, you can do well. And if you want to go into a big club, you can, but hopefully, you know, this will be in the years to come, it might be a case of, we come to Brighton and then we stay at Brighton because that's that's yeah. it. So that that would be the ideal, wouldn't it? If we can get to that level, because I, I do I completely agree with you. I think succession planning and uh, a, a, a progressive club that is seen to provide opportunities; those are the two main elements that are I think working so well for us at the moment. We've lost Dan Ashworth. We brought in David Weir. I mean, it's very early days, but it seems like he's hit the ground running. He's carrying himself well, saying all the right things. The the transfer policy seems to be working still. Um, it looks like it'll be a good fit. Um, he's obviously been um, grounded into it gra- gradually as well by being uh, in the role in a temporary basis. That's great. Um, you, you imagine much as we wouldn't like to lose Graham at any point. Eventually that will happen. And when it does, you just know that we're likely to get a manager that on the very, at the very least looks like it should be a sensible fit. And with a little bit of luck, will be. Um, hopefully, that's into the long term. But yeah, if, at every level of the club, from Paul Barber, David Weir, everybody on the women's side of the game, which we'll get onto in a more detail a bit later today, um, the players that are coming in, um, you know, they, they come in, they know they can improve themselves under Graham. They can learn a lot more. They can enjoy their time in a place like Brighton. And then they do get the opportunities to, to move on. Um, that brings us neatly on to the, uh, the other transfer speculation, which, of course, is all around Mark Kukurea, the player who was voted player of the season last year, his only season with us. Um, talk about hitting the ground running. Um, well, he hit the ground very early when he got, um, he got whacked at Brentford. Um, welcome to, welcome to football in, in the Premier League. I think, um, Lewis Dunk said to him. Um, but you know, he, from there on, he stepped up. He took to it pretty quickly. We found out when he scored the Man United goal that he, he'd had some trouble settling in some respects, but in terms of his football on the pitch, he, he was absolutely superb. We obviously would, we, we wouldn't stand in a player's way, but we would have liked to have seen him play for more than one season for us, much much as he's indelibly linked to us already in the public eye. We wanted to get the benefit of him for a bit longer, didn't we? But it looks like he is going to go. It was all about Man City. Um, they put in a £30 million bid. We told them we were looking for 50 or more. Uh, they didn't seem to come back with another bid. There's reports they might have done eventually, but still way short of the mark. Um, in the meantime, he put in a transfer request you can clearly see the attraction of playing for Pep, playing at Man City, playing in the Champions League, having a pretty good chance of winning, a, uh, well, all sorts of major honours. That makes sense. But the evaluation was way short. But the twist is, of course, this week, as we speak, Chelsea have come in. They've seemingly gazumped them. They've come in with the proper offer that we were looking for. And people are starting to learn that if Tony Bloom says, we want 50 million, we want 50 million, as in we, we're not going to settle for less. It seems Chelsea have gone for that. Um, the details have not been finalised. It hasn't been confirmed. Personal terms are still being discussed, but it looks like he's going. Um, bit of a gutter, isn't it, guys? I mean, uh, going back to you again, Richie, first of all, uh, what have you made of this transfer saga, if we can call it that? And how do you see it panning out? Yeah, I mean, it was, um, it was an interesting one. I guess it's... It's obviously it's been not quite as long as the Basuma one, which was 
kind of he's been linked with an exit for like pretty much 18 months um and you know most teams under the sun he's been linked with in terms of the top ones but yeah the Kukure one I guess it seemed like um I don't know I, I thought maybe he would stay for another year um I yeah think just I, I guess if I was um you know putting my kind of Brighton fan hat on I would maybe a little bit disappointed that he put a transfer request in um uh, you know, he's, he's, in, he's within his rights to do it, but I just, I don't know. I just felt maybe doesn't the, the optics aren't as good, maybe. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah, it's obviously it looked like Manchester City were going to get there, but I, I do really admire the stance that Brighton have taken in terms of, you know, we view him at fifty plus million, and um, I, I, uh, yeah, I mean, coming in with thirty million bids, you know, it's a bit derisory, and then and then forty, and also just the way that. Um, you know, they they have like I think asked for upwards of twenty million for like Liam Delap, like a nineteen year old. So they're perfectly willing to, you know, push the boat out price wise for some of their players and then and you know, and then also for example, Cabin Phillips, they signed him for like forty two million. Um so they're they you know, they they're happy to have it their way on transfers, but when Brighton do it their way, they're like everyone's like, Whoa, whoa, whoa what's you know, this is you know, just you know, he wants to go, let him go type thing. It's just it's ridiculous. It's arrogant, so, isn't there? There's an entitlement feel to it from from in terms of the owners of the club there that you know, that's fine, you know, you'll have to let him go because he'll he'll have his head turned, he'll want to join us, and once that happens, it's game over. And I think the Alvin have learned how to adapt to that attitude and find a way to uh, really through this this opportunity giving uh, profile, you know, not standing in the way, but but insisting on the right price and treating the players well. By all accounts, it's all been completely congenial behind the scenes between uh, between Mark and, the, and the, the club. I'm not sure if that's true, but that's what I've heard. And I wouldn't be surprised because he sound, seems like a perfectly decent guy. And I'm sure they're acting in reason, reasonable terms in general. But the overall, it does leave a sour taste in the mouth, the overall thing of, what is 100% a derisory bid? In my opinion, it's an insulting bid based on what you said, Richie, in terms of what they're looking for. If you look at defenders, they Nathan Ake, I mean, how much was it? 50 mil? I think he was um, his deal. You know, so the fact they're looking for 30 for someone who's been talked about so much in the media. And hey, you know, people don't like, to, in the wider media, don't like to talk about the Albion that much, do they? It's changing a bit. Um, it's changed with Mark Kukurea. But, you know, with so much talk about him, you would have thought they would have at least been a bit more respectful than 30 mil. Cause it, yeah. And they just, sold Zinchenko for 32 million. So, yeah, you know, if you're yeah. looking for someone who's better, but then you pay less. It's just, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, It's not as if he's in the last year of his contract. Like Basuma, you know, he's got, was it five years left, I think, or four years left, isn't it? Four, four years of five year deal, yeah. So... We'll see what happens. It's still to be confirmed as we record this, but I'm pretty sure he'll end up going. But it looks like it's going to be to Chelsea. And I mean, but it, was, but it was really interesting. There was a piece on Talk Sport today about him and about Chelsea, and there was a certain amount of kind of um, surprise that they were going for Kukurea because their view was that Chelsea needs a striker more than it needs defence. Um, so. You know, and it still seems, I don't know whether Richie said, sensed that, but it still seems a bit up in the air. I thought we'd hear today, but nothing's come out. And um, yeah, I just. The BBC were saying that, you know, nothing's been sorted. It's not as advanced as some people have, yeah. have admitted. But I mean, uh, 
just to sort of go back to what you're saying about you know the frustrations of the arrogance I think the timing's part of it as well you know that it's essentially a week before the season when all this has panned out and I think if you compare it to the Basuma uh, thing that that happened immediately right and it gives the club a chance to get in a, a, a replacement if we wanted to you know we don't really work like that we buy a replacement three years in advance and uh, send them out but uh, the I think it's this idea that, you know, you've got a really great player. We're a better team than you. We're going to put in a, a poor offer. But not only are we going to do that, you can't reinvest any of that money because before the season starts. So you're going to have a weaker start to the season. So it's it's one of those things that I think is more frustrating because of the situation rather than Kukurella leaving himself, however wonderful he is. I've come to kind of expect that we'll get to see these great players very fleetingly um uh, and until we you know conquer the top four and, and become the biggest team in the country but the, <laughs> but but until that point um I, I i do agree and i think that there it's still a bit up in the air i wouldn't be surprised if it you know city do suddenly uh come back in with a much improved offer um if he's that important to them um but i also think he kind of does make sense for chelsea um, you know, they they do need a left-sided centre-back. They do need cover at left wing-back. Alonso's got one year of his contract left um, and they, they will want to make some money from him. Um, he's expected to leave, I think. And it it seems like a good replacement, especially with Ben Chilwell's injury record um, and, and a team like that who, you know, they played a, a ludicrous amount of games last year. I think they were in the mid-60s, the amount of games they played last year. Um, that, that they do actually need two good players for each position. And having someone as flexible as Cucurella would really work for them. Yeah, I think we, we would need a replacement, at least some in terms of squad, we'd need a replacement if uh, if he went. I'm not sure what Graham's thinking is in terms of who could fill in. Leandro Trossard has done some left-wing back stuff to quite good effect as well. Uh, Solly, of course, before he had that injury, was it a couple of years ago, I think, wasn't it? Um, he was on fire in that role, actually. He was doing really well. It was really unfortunate the timing when he, when he, uh, was, was struck with that and obviously took time to come back and then is there. Um, but maybe he could come back. There could be a story in that. But we, that's a certain type of role, a conventional left back, which Mark can still play as well. Um, you know, that's, that's maybe where we're a little bit lacking. Maybe an alternative style of, of left defender that we might need. Um, we're talking, we've been linked with Angelino, uh, who's a former Man City player, actually, isn't he? I think who's at, um, I forgot where he is now, RB Leipzig, is it? I think. Um, interestingly, City, and maybe they won't come in for, for Marco Correa because they're now linked with the Anderlecht left back. Is it Sergio Mendes, is it? I think. Um, who's, Apparently pretty well rated. I think we've been linked in social media and various other places with him. Um, so it looks like they might be looking elsewhere themselves. But I think we would need a replacement if, if Marco Correa did leave. Just if, if not for any other reason, we'd need more backup in that role. Even if we did, for example, imagine Solly to, to take it back on uh, or somebody else. Um, I know Matoma can drop into that position as well, but uh, he, that's not really his specialism. And also, to be honest with you, I think Trossard's going to have a cracker of a season, I've got a feeling. And he's not just because he scored a hat-trick in that final friendly against Espanyol, which we won 5-1, but just in general, I think he's going to step on. I've seen, I've seen, I don't know, Richie, what you may make of him, but I, I've seen him get kind of 
gradually more consistent with those sparky performances. They're, they're getting a little bit more consistent. He's having a bit more of an influence in some games. I think he's going to have some man-of-the-match performances next season. And we want him further forward. We wouldn't want him in a left wing-back role, apart from when necessary. But what have you made of him? And do you, do you fancy him to be one of the, the top dogs next season? Or this coming season? Yeah, yeah I, I think he can. I think, um, yeah, it was... Uh, I think the... He sort of... He went last season, he went through, like, you know, purple patches and then sort of, yeah, cold bits for a while. I, I think he was, you know, he was fantastic in the... Uh, the two-all draw at Liverpool when he played sort of a false nine. And then um, I think against other teams, that formation didn't really work. So he didn't get the best out of him. But then, especially in the end of the season, he was scoring goals for fun. You know, he scored the winner against um, Tottenham. He scored a great goal against Arsenal. Um, You know, he scored a brilliant individual goal against Wolves. And then um, even, yeah, it was was a sign of him. uh, Fortune was smiling on him because he just he managed to squeak in a goal against Manu even didn't know much about it but um yeah I think he's such he's such a versatile player um in uh, after the Espanol game a few of us journalists were sort of asking Graham about um I guess the match and and um he, he basically said that uh you know at times sometimes it seems like he's best in attacking midfield and then sometimes a wing and then and he's had success as wing back and then um but yeah, it does seem like if he can just sort of not have such long patches where he has, you know, not doesn't score, I really think he could be, you know, ten plus goals. Um, he's just I, I remember that. So one of my maybe still my favourite sort of Brighton game that I covered was um, Brighton Man City when obviously when they came from two 0 down to win three two. Um, uh, big Dan Burn bundling home the one that was fantastic, but. Um, he he. So Trossard, I think, came off the bench because Welbeck got injured, and and I think the reason why he didn't start was because he didn't actually have the best game previously. But then he was just unplayable. And there's a his goal when he sits down. I think Diaz, who just been voted like the Player of the Year or something like that, um, and then John Stones just you know made them just bamboozled them all. So he's got that in his locker. It's just the consistency, and you just really hope that he can deliver on his potential because. Yeah, I think, you know, Mopé's been linked with a move away. We don't quite know if Undab's going to be able to transfer his form from the Belgian league. Um, and this, obviously there's new boys like Nciso and Matoma and stuff like that. So the pressure might come on to him to sort of deliver. Obviously, Danny Welbeck as well. But and, and I do think that he's, you know, he's 27, going on 28 in December. This year, like you say, I think this could be his year. And I really do hope so, because he's certainly got the talent. Mm. Yeah. Margaret, you're a big fan of Trossard as well? Oh, I like Trossard. I mean, I think his turning is brilliant. I mean, when he's really on form. But as you say, sometimes he's just anonymous. It's strange. Some games, you're hardly aware he's there. Um, in others, he's absolutely... And it's, it seems he's a sort of player, it seems to me, who thrives on success. Once he's, it goes well, he gets better. Do you know what I mean? And I think he's very... very I, I get the sense that he's quite... He can get quite down with it, actually. I don't know, that's... Um, a feeling I have. Yeah, possibly so. Definitely there's going to be more pressure on the roles because we've got so much attacking talent. Richie, you've just sort of touched on it there. And um, we've got players coming back who we've already signed. And this is the part of the succession planning. We've had them on board. We've got them secured with us. They've gone out on loan. We've had Undav, who was loaned back. We had Mitoma, who was loaned out to 
uh, USG as well. Um, and of course, we had um, uh, what's his name? Kozlovsky. Uh, no, it's gone out of my head. <laughs> I think that's right, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> um, yeah, having a, having a, one of my moments. Uh, yeah. um, those three all went out, and they all, they're all attacking talent to some degree. Yeah, one's a wide player, one plays attacking mid, one's a striker, but they're they're, they're all attacking talent that's coming in. More pay may or may not go. There was a fifteen million pound offer from Salerno Terna in um, in Italy. Um, whether anything will come of that or any other interest, I don't know. I, I'd imagine we'd be happy enough to keep him, but potentially willing to sell him should certain other players be available or if we've got confidence with what is coming in. Um, I'm I'm confident about Rindav. I'm not going to get overexcited yet. I'm not getting my expectations too high, but I think he can fit our style and I think he can fit the Premier League well enough. Mitoma, by all accounts, is having a cracking time already and I think he's going to be great. Um, and what's interesting is the new signings. Um, we should mention them. Um, what we have brought in, I think you mentioned earlier as well, Richie, uh, Simon Adingra, who's come from uh, Nord, Nord, uh, I'm not having um in uh, Denmark, he's gone straight out on loan to USG. But Julio Enciso, who's been, we've been after for a while, finally have signed. Libertad Asuncion of Portugal, uh, he's come in from. Usually, players coming in from South America tend to need to assimilate to European football somewhere and they will tend to go on loan and that fits our general modus operandi but I'm wondering if he's going to be involved in the first team as well maybe because he's hit the ground running hasn't he um you've seen him Richie probably closer up than we have in in terms of the friendlies at least I've not been to any of the friendlies um have you got any kind of early thoughts on him I know it's difficult with friendlies to say but what are your early feel feelings for how he's doing yeah so um yeah, I mean, still only 18, which is, um, it's funny just in this job, like, you just feel really old because it's all these kids <laughs> coming <laughs> Just like, oh my, crikey. Um, but yeah, anyway, um, yeah, so I, I think, um, he's definitely got a spark. Like he's, um, uh, he's not afraid to, to shoot on site and, and take players on, which is something that, and, and be a bit direct, which I think sometimes, you know, is a, maybe a criticism you could levy that Brighton sometimes in the past, just not taking a shot at the chance, but, um, uh, I still think he's pretty raw. Like he's, you know, he's a Paraguay international, and um, you know, to make your uh, debut for your country at 17 is, you know, very, very impressive. Um, but I, yeah, it's an interesting. One. I've, when I've seen him play, there's times when he looks really good, and then other times you just think maybe the decision making is not quite there yet, or just the choice of things to do, and maybe it's. Um, uh, I don't know. He, he tries to to go for the spectacular maybe a little bit too much, but um, I mean, I, I like his confidence and his um, you know his willingness to to uh, you know to put himself out there in terms of you know take players on. But um, I yeah, it'll be interesting one to see what happens in terms of if he is kept. I mean, Graham Potter I think describes him as a, a little uh, powerhouse after the Union draw, the first preseason match. Um, so I mean, I I think yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he if he does stay. Um, I'm not sure if you uh, know, uh, you know, uh, the South American football expert, Tim Vickery. Yes. Um, yeah, we've had him on the show. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Um, yeah. So he said um, uh, he had no doubts about Caicedo doing well. He had no doubts about McAllister, but he does have doubts about Enciso. He thinks he might be a little bit lightweight. Hmm. Um, it's, you know, when someone's 18, it's kind of, 
you know, it's it's really hard to to say. But in terms of from what I've heard and and what Graham Potter said is he's really impressed so far. Um, you know, I don't think he'll be starting games, but you know, he with the five subs rule now coming in, you could maybe see him off the bench and and running against some some tired defenders will be, I think, exciting. Yeah, I wonder. What if... we haven't mentioned is Ferguson, and I wonder what's going to happen to Ferguson this season. Yeah, that's going to be interesting, isn't it? Because mm. he looks like he's a prospect. He's gradually growing into into a player that could could make his way, but it's a really tough. Uh, a really tough area of the field to try and break into, isn't it? Um, I think it's worth remembering with Ferguson as well that whilst he has shown signs that he could be fantastic, he is 17. Yeah. It's it's just really young, and I think there's a lot of pressure on him already. I think we've already seen one Premier League 2 superstar um, sort of really struggle under that pressure um, in Connolly. Uh, And, you know, I, I would like the club how much I'd love to see Ferguson succeed and, and you know he's looked wonderful when I've seen him play um, I'd like the club to take a much gentler approach to his development um, however you know boring that is um, <laughs> and uh, than they did with Connolly I think and, and I'd be very happy if I saw uh, Ferguson spend a couple of years out on loan or spend a bit more time in and around the first team and mostly playing for the under-23s I'd agree with that. I, I, I think they should, and I think they will do that. Yeah, certainly for this season, I think he'll end up on the loan uh, or or even just halfway through when we have the next transfer window. Uh, but I do think loans are going to be important there. Um, there's a restriction on how many we can have if it's going continentally now, isn't there? I think it's six that are allowed to go abroad, um, but that's a 21-plus rule anyway, so it'll be, it'd be fine. Um yeah, I, I think I can't see him breaking into the team. He might get some League Cup games before he goes on loan um, or something like that. If uh, I, I think we've got one cup match before the transfer window closes, I think. Second round game, I think. But um, anyway, we'll, we'll see see what happens on that score. Um, Julio and Caciso, yeah, I, I, I heard what Tim said actually about, about him. Yeah, reservations. I think... Um, He's, he's going to need a little bit of time to get used to it. He'll probably get muscled off a little bit here and there. Um, but what I found about the South Americans, you said about not afraid to be direct and get shots off early. I found that's something that I've noticed Alexis McAllister tries to do. And I think if we think back to other South Americans, maybe Izquierdo as well, not necessarily always accurately, but um, those players try to get their shots off early. I don't know if it's a South American trait specifically, Um but I do think if he does play for us in the first team this season, and if he is able to do that, that might just open us open things up a bit more for us. And I think we might be able to find some more creativity in the box with a player like him if he can assimilate himself and get the better of defenders. I think um, he could be a really interesting signing for this season. But uh, we'll see. But Adingra has come in and gone out on loan to USG. And Cizo, we don't know yet. And the other one, just to quickly mention as a footnote, Benicio Baker-Wati, I think it's pronounced, who's we've signed from Porto. He was on loan. We've made that permanent this summer. And um, I'm not sure what's happening with him in terms of loans of 23s or what, what he's doing. But that's another interesting, young, exciting prospect as well. Um, a winger, I think, isn't he? Um, so that's that's the inbounders. I don't think I've missed anything. Please shout out if I have. Um, the... The other thing, just to quickly mention on transfers, but uh, just to round off the first part of the pod, is loans. Um, we've already mentioned that Ingra has gone out to Royal Union Saint-Gilloise. 
We touched on Connolly. Uh, interesting loan deal ended up happening for him. He's gone on loan to rather un, unremarkable effect recently, and in particularly the Middlesbrough loan last season, the most recent one, which apparently they were damning in their, uh, well, their, their underwhelmment, <laughs> the Middlesbrough fans. That might be a polite, polite way of putting it. Clearly, there's a lot of problems off the pitch, maybe with the wrong crowd or just getting into the wrong habits. Whatever's going on, it's affected his uh, his progress. You could argue the, the brace against Spurs in that game really early in his career for the Albion may have come too much too soon or whatever, but he, he's gone right off the rails and he needed a change. He's gone to Venezia in Italy. Um, he was seen on holiday there, and I think there were some people online criticising, oh, why is he there when he should be in pre-season? And, of course, it then turned out he was actually there to sign for Venezia. Um, so he was, yeah, I mean, he's still got some potential. I'm kind of pretty much given up on him. However, who knows? Maybe this could be the making of him. The one encouraging sign, I'm sure you guys have seen it, um, he put a statement out which sounded quite mature, quite a wordy statement, talking about how he's got him with the wrong crowds, needed a change, thinks this will be a good alternative place to go to to really reset himself and, and go on from there. Um, maybe go back to you on this one first, Richie. What have you made of, of that statement, this move, and his his potential to still make it? <laughs> I mean, I, I think it was really refreshing to hear that, to be honest. I, I think it's maybe a sign of, you know, a good sign of maturity there. Um, he wants to have a, a reset. Um, yeah, I spoke to uh, Craig Johns at I think, Teesside Live, who covers Millsborough, and, and he said, um, "Yeah, he just didn't, he didn't really fit in at all. He just he, there was no real spark. There was a couple of games where he might have done well, but I think it was two goals in like twenty games overall. Um, so yeah, far from setting the world alight. And um, yeah, I, I think uh, just maybe getting a change of scenery that that could that could help. Um, I just feel um, it's interesting just on." Um, in regards to Bryson, just the the rapid progression they're going on. There's a number of players who were signed, say, in 2020, but now they're no longer seemingly good enough for the first team. That's how quick they've gone. So you look at Andy Zakiri, that like he's gone out alone, and I think that's a, a loan to buy at FC Basel. And then like Michael Kabalnik, again, is another player who I think that was a loan to buy at Olympiacos last year. Um, Taylor Richards, you know, he made his Brighton debut uh, last year and um, mm. you know, played a few times in the first team and didn't have a, he was very unlucky at Burnley, actually got injured in the medical. Uh, I think he was jumping under like, I, feel yes. like I think he hit his head or some of like that and yeah, he caused a bad injury. But um, that's another example. So that's three players there who look like they could make the breakthrough and now seemingly might be surplus to requirements. And I still think that Connolly is closer to that bracket than, yeah. um, you know, an Undev or, you know, the kind of, uh, even even like a, a Ferguson or something like that, or a CISO. So um, I guess, it, you know, just if you think of just like a human level, hopefully that he can, if it doesn't work out for him at Brighton, but this can lead to him sort of having a, you know, second win type thing, then that, that's good for him. But I, yeah, I think um, this is a, a change of scenery. I think it should do him good. Yeah, and I think it's a, a wonderful change of scenery as well. I mean, uh, not not only <laughs> is, is Venice beautiful, but um, Venice are a really interesting club at the moment um so they they've oh, just yeah. been relegated um <laughs> got the best they've got the best kit in in the world but um <laughs> they they've just been relegated from the top tier uh in italy um and they they seem to be a really well-functioning club they're really community engaged um and it's 
it just strikes me as a really intelligent move for him. Um, you know, they're going to be around the top of the table. He's going to have chances to score. It's going to be a slightly different kind of football. Um, and, and it's it's away from that kind of, you know, hard man championship style and, and perhaps something he'll be better at. I remember when I, I grew up, I had a friend who was at Tottenham and he was sent out on loan through the lower leagues. Um, and he said to me once, he said that we just, you know, we were never built for that in, in the under 23s. We were taught how to play this technical football and then I uh, was off at Stevenage and uh, had Gordon Greer man marking me. So, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things where I think it makes a lot of sense for him to, for Connolly to sort of go abroad go into a league where perhaps there's more opportunity to be more technical. I mean, it's a league where Cesc Fabregas is going to be playing in. Um, he's just joined Como, um, which is an even lovelier um, <laughs> swan song. But I think I think there's a real opportunity for him. Um, but I, I agree, Richie. I think if he doesn't make it out with this kind of loan spell of that surplus to requirements thing, it'd be a re- real shame. But, but this is sort of last chance saloon, isn't it? I should add as well, Venezia, um, beautiful place. I've been, I went in March and it wasn't smelly. The, this is the beauty of being <laughs> football season. It starts just when the smelly season's finishing and it finishes just when the smelly season's starting. So we could do the whole season, enjoy Venice, and then just bugger off for the summer somewhere and not have to have the, the whole tourist influx and all of that stuff. It's perfect. It's, it's, it's genius move. Yeah. I wish him the best. I mean, I, yeah, second chances or third chances or whatever it is for people. I think why not? You know, let's let's see what happens. Margaret, a quick word on Connolly. On- I, I just I think he got a bit of a bad reputation. Really, I think he probably brought it on himself. I mean, he was the the, oh, the king of diving, and I think the rest even got used to the fact that every time he went anywhere near a ball, he was going to fall over. Um, so he, he just, and I don't think he he certainly wasn't a fan. Uh, the fans didn't really warm to him. I think he just came across as too arrogant, to be honest, on, mm. on very little. That's the trouble. Yeah, and he was playing for Ireland as well, which, um, you know, down to resources, I guess, that he gets into the team for more with more surety there. But, yeah, that's kind of fallen away as well because he's just not been playing the games or playing well enough. But, well, we'll see, we'll see how it pans out. Interesting move. Um, Richard, you've just mentioned some of the other ones, but just to finish off, um, or just to mention Taylor Richards, that's a QPR and that's a loan-to-buy arrangement as well. Um, Seema, the guy that we signed last summer and then had injuries while on loan at Stoke, I think it was, has now gone to Angers on a season loan. Um, and we were supposed to see a double move to Derby, Hayden Roberts and Cole Rushworth. Hayden Roberts has gone to Derby to link up with another Albion connection of the past, Liam Rossinia, who is now the Derby manager after Wayne Rooney left. Um, and good luck to him, by the way. But Cole Rushworth, in the end, opted for Lincoln instead. Got a couple of mates who are Lincoln fans. So an interesting move. They're asking about him. And I said, well, he's, he's a young lad from Yorkshire, um, looks, looks the part, talks a good game. Uh, has a good reputation, rumoured to have been once seen by a Barca scout at Worthing, which is, I, I don't know, a mixture of amusing and possibly true. Um, but he he looks a prospect, probably needs another loan. I think that's a good move for him. I don't know if you guys have got any um, thoughts on any of those or any other loans or signings that I've missed. We've probably signed a couple of youngsters somewhere, which I've missed um, along the way. I do know that uh, Chelsea have signed one of our our own youngsters, haven't they? Uh, is it, uh, what's his name, Spurge, is it? Something like that? Yeah, uh, yes, Zach Sturge. 
Sturge, that's it, yeah, yeah. So he, so he's gone, which is interesting. So there's this flip side to what we're doing with Chelsea of picking off their more advanced level age-wise players who, like Lamptey, we tried it with Liveramento. We might be looking at Colville, we should mention as well, which is, may or may not be part of a, a general negotiation with Chelsea uh, to do with Kukurea. Um Meantime, they're getting our even younger players and trying to bring them in. We'll probably nick them back off Chelsea later, but um, there's an interesting dynamic going on there, isn't there, as well? The um, one that fascinates me always is Jensen Weir being the son of, um, of, of what's his name, Weir? Coming David Weir. Yeah, uh, he's gone off again um, to another club. Um, it's interesting to know how good he is, really. I've no idea. Yeah, it's hard to say, isn't it? I, I don't know if... Uh, Jack or Richie, if you've if you've seen him, seen him play, uh, he, he was supposed to be a bit of a coup when we got him from um, from Wigan when they were going through trouble, right? So he was supposed he was in around the first team, then he was supposed to be. Uh, a lot of other teams were looking at him, and uh, uh, what I've heard about him is that he's a really good player in his own right, and that I'm sure his father being at the club probably swayed the decision. But at the same time, uh, I think by the sounds of things, we're quite lucky to have him um, rather than uh, the other way around. Um, so hopefully that, that turns into a, a first-team player um, yeah. or, you know, manages to get Venezia um, promoted next season when we start learning. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, Richie, have you had a chance to see him or any of the other youngsters? Did you get along to any of those games? Yeah, so I saw him, uh, I think he played the first half of the union friendly, the preseason friendly at the start of July. Um, he, I mean, the, with those games, it was just like everyone, it was like their first match. So it wasn't, there wasn't too much to take away for it. It was kind of just dusting off the cobwebs really. But um, mm. uh, yeah, I, I guess because Brighton fielded a pretty good team, he didn't sort of stand out. Um, but, you know, he seems quite a robust midfielder, um, Likes to, I think, Kenko box to box. Um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, I think he, he was quite unlucky last year because he had, I think, a f- he was out for a loss of the season, but I think a knee injury at Cambridge, um, on loan. And, um, so I think he'll, he'll probably go out on loan again. Um, because yeah, yeah I mean, he's, I think he's 20, he turns 21 next year. So, um, again, it just kind of goes back to that point of, um, just the progression of Brighton is just interesting to see will he actually get in? I mean, you know, yeah. because there's, there's, you know, Brighton are signing very good youngsters. You know, Caicedo is, I think, in the same sort of school year as him. He'd be that's a similar age and, you know, he, he, everyone, you know, he's got a song now. <laughs> so, um, uh-huh. yeah, it's interesting to see, <laughs> um, what, what will happen with that. But yeah, he looks, he looks decent enough, but, um, yeah, interesting to see what happens. Yeah. It's, as you said, we're almost we're victims of our own success in terms of how well we're improving. There's some of those players that we would have liked to have seen develop with us and get into the team, and maybe just they're, they're chasing shadows here at the, at the moment to try and keep up. Um, but yeah, I'm sure there'll be some more loans between now and then. The other, very quickly, just on the first team, we, we've a few people we haven't mentioned. We talked about the attacking talents. Of course, one person who did break in uh, with a lot more gusto than Taylor Richards actually was Sarmiento. Very quickly got a, a start at West Ham, but unfortunately very quickly got injured. He is now back, uh, fighting fit, and he could make an impression. Caicedo, you've already mentioned, another player that might step up, and along with Trossard, um, 
could be shining lights this year. Um, but what about um, with the defensive side of things? We are obviously we're looking at this Colville guy, but in terms of um, other scenarios, we've got Matt Clark back from alone. We've got Van Hecker who did very well at um, Blackburn. I think they were both players of the season, weren't they? Actually, at their respective loan loaned in clubs. Um, do you see both of them staying in the first team, Richie? Because depending on what maybe what happens with Duffy, and obviously if Kukureya does go, um, we probably might be a bit short on numbers, particularly if the Chelsea deal isn't done with Colville. We might have to um, look at uh, keeping both of them. Should we do that? I, they, they seem to be doing well, but I just haven't seen enough of them to really know. Um, but to flesh out the squad, that might be okay, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one because I personally feel that if if you've got Duffy, Van Heck and uh, Clark, I think one of them will probably go. And I think, sadly, I think Clark might be another player who, I think he was actually Graham Potter's first signing um, in yeah. the summer of 2019. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I just feel that he might not ever play a game like Ostergaard. Um, just watching him in a couple of preseason games, he's... He seems like a more old-fashioned centre-half in terms of he's you know, very good in the air, um, quite physical. But in terms of like a, a ball-playing centre-half, he's he's more similar to, say, a Duffy than like a Webster or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes can be a little bit, uh, I don't know, sometimes his touch lets him down a little bit and maybe not the... Uh, the he, he likes to drive forward from the back, kind of a left centre-back role, but... Um, yeah, I don't. I don't quite know. I, I feel. I feel there's maybe there'll be better chance for Van Heck, um, but again, I think a lot will depend on if they sign Colwell because I, I could. I could see. Um, I think Clark could either leave permanently or go on loan. Van Heck, I wouldn't be surprised if he went on loan again, uh, and I don't know if Duffy's going to be happy with just sort of playing second fiddle in as a backup. But I think you've definitely got to keep probably. Two of them. Um, young Hayden Roberts has gone to Derby, um, and they are short at the moment. I guess on the left, um, Alex Cochrane also he left for for Hearts. Um, so yeah, so I think I like the look of Van Heck from what I've seen in preseason. Um, he's I think he's an aerial threat, but he's um, he's a bit more mobile than a Clark or a Duffy. I think he, he could be a success story. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting dynamic and it just depends on what Graham Potter wants because I think in the past he's talked about like the optimum squad level and you don't, you know, it's a fine line to draw in terms of a, a bloated squad where players might feel disenchanted because it's not like to play and then too small and then injuries crop up. So yeah, I, I've just rabbled along, but I'm not actually going to answer. But it's, um, it's a juggling yeah. act, isn't it? There's, there's a balancing act. It's a puzzle. Uh, there's there's various things in terms of injuries as well that might crop up later in the uh, in this uh, month as well, which might cause us to need a, another transfer or some other thinking. It's it's yeah, there's so much to work out. I wouldn't I wouldn't envy being Graham at this time of year because I think there's there's so many logistics to work on, isn't there? And things to juggle, things to adapt to. Um, and you never know what's going to happen. Somebody randomly comes in with a bid for another one of our players and unsettles them. Who knows what that might do? Uh, there's, there's no way of knowing. But, um, yes, I think that's, that you're probably right. I agree with you. I think one of those will go probably on a permanent deal away, um, certainly on a loan at the very least. And 
we'll, we'll see if anybody comes in in that department. Um, it's, it's, it's anyone's guess. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break there. Uh, later in the podcast, we're going to be talking about a little bit about the EFL, which is already underway. We're also going to talk some more Albion. Um, but in part two, we've got to talk about the other sensational subject of the summer, which is the women's football team, the Euros. We won it. Fantastic, isn't it? And we'll be talking about that in part two. Okay, so we're back with part two. Uh, It's me, it's Jack, it's Richie from Sussex Live, and it's Margaret. Now, Margaret, you went to three of the games at the Euros, the Women's Senior Euros event that was staged in England. Uh, The final was at Wembley. I believe you were there for that. Is that right? Oh, no, you weren't there for that. Oh, you missed that? No, I went to the three MX matches. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yes, because you went to the the non-England Amex game as well, didn't you? Yeah. I went along to one of those and bumped into you in the queue for the fish and chips. Um, Fantastic tournament, I think, in general. Obviously, sensational result from an England point of view. We finally won a major trophy in my lifetime in, in, you know, in either of the uh, genders categories. And it, it was brilliant. I loved it. I went to the, unfortunately, I couldn't go to the Norway game, but I went to the quarterfinal against Spain which was the, probably the tensest of the matches, at least until the final anyway. Um, a dramatic event where we uh, we turned it round and got the win. Um, it was absolutely brilliant. What do you make of it? Tell, tell us about your experiences, your three games. Oh, well, I, I'm so old that I remember 1966, <laughs> I have to say. I, I remember sitting... My, I have a family who doesn't like sport, so my experience of the sport is usually sitting on my own, screaming my head off in various rooms um, and that's how I watched the 1966 final um, <laughs> my god there's been many years since haven't there uh, but I suppose particularly as a woman I, I grew up in an era where you couldn't play football I mean it, it, it's really hard for you to understand in a way it wasn't that you didn't play football but you couldn't play football you were not allowed to play football and in fact there was this sort of undercurrent that it somehow was something that wasn't done by women I mean really so I suppose for me that made it even more special because it's just been so exciting I've got friends who have um, been development officers in women's football for many years fighting tooth and nail to get any kind of recognition at all to get to a match to get I mean it's just stupid things like um, you can't play women's matches at the main stadiums because uh, the women t- turn up on mess the, the, the pitch up more than men do let a tosh you know but that's the kind of and just that sort of stuff which underlies it all so to have something and to have Brighton I don't know if you heard Ian Wright and Alex Scott talking at the end about the fact that many of the Premier League clubs just didn't step up to the plate well Brighton did step up to the plate they actually took the risk they said right we're going to have you know matches at, at, at the Amex Stadium and I can't tell you how exciting it, it was the Norway match the first one eight nil Many, many, many women and children there, particularly the kids. The only difficulty was to try and tell the kids that actually it isn't normal to have a, a, a match that is eight nil. They're going, can we get ten? Yeah, well, maybe, but this is a little bit unusual. But the, jo- the joy there, the absolute joy, uh, and, and 
just the whole atmosphere. You know, I, I mean, I, I love men's football. I do. I'm completely besotted by it, obsessed with it, really. My family tells me. But the whole atmosphere at a men's match is completely different to a women's match. And I have to say, it was, it was a joy all the way through. Um, I can well understand how Norway lost to us 8-0 because they were pretty rubbish in the um, Austria match. But the, the Spain, the match, the quarterfinal against Spain, I you watched it. I don't know. I know you were there, Russ. But that was just phenomenal. I mean, the, the Georgia Stanway goal, many men would be so proud to have got scored that goal, in my, in my view. And we yeah. never gave up. And I have to say that I think Serena Viberg should be jolly well men's, men's manager. should be far better than bloody Southgate. Excuse my language. I shouldn't say that. Sure. <laughs> I've read it. Better beat that one out. But I, I just think he's uncreative. I think he's boring. I think he's, his, his picks and selections are... Yeah, well, particularly his defensive picks are very dubious yeah. in my view. So, um, I, you know, for me, it was fantastic. And I can't wait to for the, for the World Cup because I think, you know, they were wonderful. And, yeah. and long may it continue. Well said, yeah. Well said. Okay. Yeah, I mean, is it possible? Calendar allowing, could she do both the England jobs? That would be all right, wouldn't it? Well, <laughs> I think so. We women to miss out now, don't we? Yeah, but, well, uh, I'm, I'm, incidentally, I'm taking credit for the Stanway goal. I, everyone was wearing white, um, you know, the England kits behind the goal. I was behind the goal and I was wearing some kind of brightish green uh, shirt. So there's probably a focal point to aim for. And the ball came directly towards me. So I'm pretty sure she was aiming at me. Uh, <laughs> Good job. Well done. Fantastic it was. Yeah, well done, Russ. You're the real hero of the tournament. Thank you, yeah. Well, I don't want to take too much of the credit. The Chloe Kelly, yeah, your heart yeah. out. Keep on banging yeah. that drum. <laughs> Chloe Kelly, your heart out. Russ is, Russ is the real MVP. <laughs> yeah, it, no, it was fantastic. I only went to the one game, but yeah, you're right. The atmosphere was superb. It was great to see so many women at games. I know you do see women at games, but far more numbers. Uh, children as well, male and female. It was great. The joy on the faces. There's a different dynamic. Yeah, you you don't have the same singing in the same way. It's a yeah, the pitch is different. Whatever you want, the, the pitch of the of the uh, the vocals is different. I mean, um, various things are different about it, but no less enjoyable. I, I loved it. It was brilliant. Uh, I really liked how just happy everybody was being there. I know it was a happy occasion, particularly with us doing so well, but nonetheless. Uh, we've seen. So I, with... I think what was particularly interesting was that uh, when we went to goal down, there was a kind of about 10, 20 seconds of sort of silence. But hmm. then actually it was almost like the, this, the fans just redoubled their efforts. So there was no sense of sort of, oh, dear. You know, they really did go support, I think. Um, yeah, yep. brilliant. Uh, Richard, did you go to any of the, uh, the games? Were you covering any of it? Uh, no, sadly we... Um... Couldn't uh, well. I think I was away for some of it, but uh, I think other games we we wouldn't have had pressing yeah. rotation away from that. But um, yeah, I watched. Um, I, I think I managed to catch. What was it yeah? Because there was the Brentford behind closed doors game last, but not last year's the one before. And then afterwards, I went. Uh, I was in Brighton. And we watched. Uh, I think most of the Sweden game, um, which was a really interesting one because yeah. So I watched the, the Spain one, and I thought that was. Um, they show real kind of uh, mental toughness to get through because I actually thought um, Spain technically were maybe a, a, a better team. They were, especially their right winger, just had our left back on toast repeatedly. Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah, and we so we did really well to guts that one out. And then 
but the start of the Sweden game was quite a nervy affair. Like they they had a couple of gold mouth scrambles, um, mm. and it could have gone their way, and then we just blew them away. And um, and yeah, but what one thing I love about the kind of the the women's stuff is it's a little bit like rugby. It's just like the fans can sit together from different teams, yeah. and and there's just and also there's hopefully it's not going to go this way, but there's just there's kind of less dare I say cheating, but there's not kind of there's much diving or time yep. wasting or, or there was a little bit of the final, but who cares? <laughs> um, but yeah, just just the kind of the win at all costs attitude uh, that's you know I don't know just makes a lot of sports sometimes not so good. And I think if they can keep doing that, then great because I think that's a, 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 a definite like plus for that side over the men's one. So yeah. So just saying that though, I, I think something I really enjoyed about the tournament, especially England towards the end of the tournament, was that that didn't affect the competitiveness. And I think like that is something uh, that's been a bit of a myth about women's football in, in the past decade or so is that you know it's a lot nicer um, than men's football. And and what for a lot of people I think that has meant is that actually it's less competitive and and that just clearly wasn't true. And, and Russ, am I allowed to swear on, on this? Yeah, you can, yeah. yeah. So there was I that, already have. Yeah, there was that <laughs> wonderful moment in, in the final where um, German player uh, brought Jill Scott down and uh, the camera zoomed in on her. And oh, yeah. Jill Scott got up and she went, fuck off, you fucking prick. Um, which was just, just, I thought was the most fantastic thing because it was like this this sign that actually it's not this kind of like nice version of the men's game. It's, it's really competitive. It's really important. Like people are giving 110% and it's just as exciting. And, and I, I felt that, you know, throughout the tournament, there was just so many of those sort of myth busting moments. Um, and, you know, it, it sort of all culminated in firstly, the best finish I think I've ever seen at Wembley, the, the, Ella Toon girl was just, I can't get over how composed she was. It's just sublime, really. And then, you know, when, when Chloe Kelly scored the winner and you had this moment where she rips her shirt off and she's waving it around her head and it's it's just unbridled emotion. And, and I think that it just bu- busted that myth of uh, the the kind of idea that it's it's a, a lesser game in passion, in, in sort of... Uh, effort in in all these things and it, it just was a real showcase of how it's the same game and it's just as exciting yeah and there's interesting that swirling the top round uh, it was interesting someone said on one of the podcasts about how oh, it might have been on twitter actually about how um that was just a matter of fact thing it wasn't about oh she's taken a top off or something there wasn't any stupidness around that it was just a, a case of this is just what we're doing in this moment and it's completely fine it's just about the athletic element of scoring the goal the, the jubilation you know there was no stupid talk about that that was great um Bobby Zamora's wasn't that Bobby Zamora's celebration it was yeah yeah Chloe yeah. Kelly of course with the with this winner we're talking about um yeah she's a QPR fan and she was at Wembley when Bobby Zamora scored a goal and did that uh, for a playoff final I think it might be against West Ham Derby or Derby uh, yeah. yeah Richard Keogh but so. on a frivolous <laughs> note I think um, Nike sports bras must be very chuffed <laughs> yes exactly yeah <laughs> why not yeah um but there, there was that. I mean, there, there was so many groundbreaking moments. It was it was the record crowd for men's or women's uh, football in the Euros, uh, eighty seven thousand one hundred and forty two. I think um, we had twenty two goals 
uh, versus two, which is a phenomenal um, return for any tournament. That's a record. We had nine different scorers, some great goals. The goal where um, it was whipped through for Russo, she turned and scored, was it against um, Norway, I think, wasn't it? I think, or Northern Ireland, it might be Northern Ireland. Um, brilliant goal, as you just said there earlier, and um, the chip finish at Wembley there, Jack, the, you know, it's beautiful, wasn't it? Superb, superb. Glorious. The, the, par- <laughs> the parabola on that. <laughs> <laughs> the back heel with Russo. Uh, the golden boot winner, Beth Mead, uh, because she got more assists than Pop, who was injured for the final, unfortunately for her. Um, so Beth Mead edges the, the golden boot, and um, it was just superb. And what's what's great is the after effect of that, um, how much interest that's that's generated. Margaret, you said you bought a season ticket and being able eligible for a certain discounts. Uh, you I get did. It. <laughs> I did for nine, 19 pounds. But I'm just saying, I think that's the bargain of the year. I mean, really, that's ridiculous, isn't it? But it does. It's indicative, isn't it, of market forces, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It's forty nine pounds if you're um if, if you're you know yeah, yeah. and it's I mean there is only eleven home games isn't there to be fair we should say that but nonetheless that is still incredibly but what good. is good is they're, they're cashing in already because the first two matches are actually at the Amex on Brilliant. the eleventh and the twenty fifth of September um, which is really exciting and in fact you haven't got to play anymore I haven't got to pay for those because of my yeah. season ticket counts um, but I think you know just to make sure that the, the people listening to this podcast know. Amex, 11th and 25th of September for the first two WSL matches. Yeah, you've been getting into the, the football. We've been a big advocate of it, the Albion ga- uh, games, and uh, particularly last season. I wasn't able to get along to any, but I'm certainly planning to get along to a couple next season. That season ticket value is brilliant, isn't it? 49 full oh, price, 19 yeah, discount. Yeah. 249% increase, the Albion was saying a day or two ago, in terms of season ticket sales since the final that's amazing. That tells you all you need to know about how much of a, of a positive benefit this tournament's had. Many people I know have, have gone with family, friends, or have been watching at home with family, and lots of lots of kids, particularly little girls, who've just been quite tangibly inspired by what they've seen. Whether anything comes of it, that'll that'll depend. But the fact that they can believe they can do something now off the back of what they've seen achieved by what has been the best England team ever, I think, um, certainly in terms of achievement, because no one's won it before. Um, but I, I think I've seen some games in the past. And I do think the standard has improved immeasurably uh, in England, certainly. Um, and it's been proved with, with how it's panned out with that result. Mm. Superb. Congratulations to all of them. Twitter went mad, didn't it? <laughs> All gone viral. The celebrations as well. I thought that um, the celebrations were off the scale with what the players were doing. You know, some some hilarious moments. Chloe Kelly grabbing the mic and running off uh, midway through an interview on TV was funny. I think everybody wants that because I think with the um, semi-final, I think they were celebrating. It was so irritating. I think the entire audience was saying, stop interviewing. We can't hear what they're saying anyway. Let them go and celebrate. And I think she just... uh, blow it i'm going to take the microphone and go whatever the, the sponsors thought about it i don't yeah. know but final word for me well said uh, alluding to what was mentioned earlier well said to ian wright and to alex scott for putting the boot in actually at the end of the final um bbc's final coverage um about those that weren't on the uptake um also about scheduling for games as well being at yeah. times which just aren't very conducive to getting big crowds in all of those things um i think lots of lots of good Good comments there. And, and Ian Wright seems to be alluding to the fact you have to be a member 
of the home the hosting club to be able to get into games i'm not sure if that's really true or not i haven't looked into it but i'm not sure that's right because i went to the match at um crawley against arsenal last season and it was yeah. a big crowd actually there was, there was more people there than are normally to crawley men's match funnily enough um but there was a large contingent of arsenal sports and i don't think they were I can't think they were members, really. Don't I think. mean, I, I was at Arsenal-Tottenham um, at, at the Emirates uh, towards the end of the last season, and, and there were plenty of Tottenham fans there. Um, and yeah. So, so I, I would presume that's not the case at all clubs, but maybe yeah. some. Um, but, but I did think the BBC's coverage was fantastic on that. Wonderful, wonderful last line from Gabby Logan. Was, yeah, uh, they, they think it's all over, it's only just begun. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, it really is true. And um, yeah, yeah, absolutely superb. And I think, yeah, I mean, what Ian was saying, Ian, right. Um, yeah, I may, may have got the wrong end of the stick there. I'm not sure. But um, he was talking about away fans areas, wasn't he? But I don't think you need it. As you said, it, everyone's integrating perfectly well. And long may that continue. And well done to, in terms of the Albion, well done to Polly Bancroft and everybody associated with the club for bringing on the women's game. Um, she's been on various medias, I think, um, over the last few days, talking about Albion's angle on things. Uh, Hope Powell, I've heard uh, on a couple of interviews as well, uh, who, of course, is still the manager of the Albion women's team. Um, and uh, we've made a couple of signings, I think, in the last couple of days as well. The only um, sad thing is that Polly Bancroft's going to Manchester United, which is a real loss. For uh, yes, but yes, we should mention that as well. Mm. Yeah, that is a big loss. Yeah. But I'm sure, again, succession planning will we'll find a way through. Yeah. Um, Right, well, we're going to break again and have part three in a moment. But just before, because I know you've got to go in a moment, Margaret, just very quickly from you before you leave, um, predictions for Sunday and for the season for the Albion men's team. Oh, I hope. I'm hoping that Ronaldo is continuing to cause huge problems behind the scenes. <laughs> entertaining, um, isn't it? <laughs> oh, very entertaining. Um, I, they still seem all over the place. I mean, Den Haag today made some comment about Ronaldo and turning, finished leaving at half time. So I'm hoping that's going to cause, still continue that problem. So maybe, maybe 2-1 to us. Yeah. I'm, do you know what? I'm going 2-1 to us as well, actually. I've got a feeling this is the perfect timing to play them. It's not a guarantee that we'll win, but mm-hmm. it's the perfect time to play them because the longer the season goes on, the more chance he gets, some, gets their ducks in a row. But um we could catch them cold, maybe, maybe. Um, we haven't got that win there. It's we're, we're breaking a few uh, ducks, aren't we, along the way, bit by bit. Um, and we've got the edge on them for the recent game, of course, which we should mention, 4-0. <sighs> Revenge for that 3-2 defeats that uh, Richie mentioned earlier, um, definitely. But, um, yeah, maybe we can catch them cold. I think we'll get a result, actually. Um, it could be a 2-1 win. Uh, we might, while we're on the subject, Jack and Richie, what do you reckon for the the Man U game? Um, well, I it's rather foolishly agree with Mar- Margaret and uh, I, I just have a sneaky feeling it will end 2-1. However, I don't think we've ever won at Old Trafford, have we? No, I don't no. think we So, you know, uh, I'll take one all. Um, uh, but it is funny watching sort of the... Um, it was very much the Messiah coming home last season, wasn't it, Ronaldo? And it's the Messiah has been a very naughty boy, hasn't he, this this summer? So he's uh, the the recent one of him, him leaving at half time in a, in a uh, preseason match isn't good, is it? That's not uh, what you want your most senior player to be doing. So hopefully that dis- discomfort, let's call it, um, continues on to Sunday. 
Um, yeah. There's been many rumours of um, bruised heads from flying toys being um, <laughs> um, flown out from a pram somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> it's just. I mean, he's a very petulant kind of persona, isn't he? And he's really just p- pushing that to the full again at the moment. He wants to break all records. He's kind of he's singularly obsessed with his own career. To be a fantastic player, and I, in a way, I don't mind that that whole focus. But you know, it's all about Champions League records. He's not going to get that enhance that with Man U this season, obviously. Um, so he probably just wants to get to a Champions League club. But the beauty is, nobody in particular wants to move in for him because his wages are probably ridiculously astronomical. Um, but there we go. Anyway, but uh, Richie, a, a prediction from you for the the old Trafford encounter on Sunday at two? Uh, six all. <laughs> I'll take that. I'm going to the game. I'll be very entertained with a six <laughs> I think it'll be a score draw. Score draw. Okay, so, let's yeah, go with that. Okay. Yeah. You, you won't be happy, Russ, when we're six nil down at half-time. It'll be, oh, it'll I'll, be, I'll be relaxed. No, you'll do a Ronaldo. You'll leave at half time. And, uh, Thank you so much. Are you behind the goal? Just wear your green shirt again. And then, you know, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Only when we're attacking that goal, yeah. But Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yes, uh, Ronaldo left at half time after being subbed at half time the other day, in case anyone's wondering what that's about. Chat was talking about there. Yeah, all part of the fun and games. few more minutes left with our special guest Richie Mills who is the Sussex Live writer um just a quick word on Sussex Live again uh tell us a bit more about what's happening with that so how does it operate in in general does it um is it kind of like mainly working remotely now a lot of media organizations are and um how does it function generally between you and the other writers yeah so yeah we're purely purely website no no paper um, which is kind of weird to get used to because I used to do papers for a long, long time. Um, but yeah, so it's, I'm the only sports reporter. Then there's kind of a news team, but I don't think they have an office. I've never actually met the news guys. Um, my home office is by the other room. <laughs> you know, it's just, um, but we, once a week, I am allowed to go into the, the reach or the mirror offices in Canary Wharf. Um, but uh, it's, I guess, I don't like the tube and um, <laughs> and rush hour is, is not fun. So um, I tend to, yeah. And, but I, I mean, what what is, breaks up nice is that, you know, I get, so on Friday, I'm off to the pre-match press conference. So I head down uh, to Lansing, which is just a nice little change of scenery. And then obviously, um, and then I'm off to Manchester on Saturday night, Um and then obviously the game. So it kind of breaks it up, but uh, yeah, mo- mostly working from home. Yeah. Oh, that's great. It's quite a nice combination, isn't it? You do get out and about when you, on, on occasions, but still based at home, which is the modern way now, of course. Yeah. Excellent. Final word then of just turning it back to the Albion um, for, uh, from you, Richard, before you go. Um, what did you make of the fuss and the kit itself, of which the fuss has been about. Um, the new kit, we've got two new kits, actually. I mean, the home kit, which has got broader, minimalistic stripe arrangements with a bit of yellow piping, and a third kit, which has been, sorry, a new away kit, which has been announced, which is the sort of like the glowing kind of rusty amber sort of colour. I don't know what else to call it, really. Uh, what's your views on it? <laughs> uh, so... I, I mean, so in the kind of the, the free, this is my first season of the home kits, 
the one that I liked the most was the 2021, the kind of the blue, the duck, not not the stripes one, just the, the pure blue one. I really like that one. That was my favourite home kit. I love Hyperturk. That's great. Yeah. Um, I think the uh, what's is it the scorching one or whatever it's called the the, the new second kit. Um, that, I, it's growing on me. Yeah. Um, that's growing on me, and I still think I'm not a massive fan of the home kit, but um, I was, I was speaking to uh, the main press officer at Brighton, Paul Campbell, and he he said he reckons people will it will grow on people. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think um, I think generally these days people it's just quite a lot of over the top reactions to <laughs> this sort. Of <laughs> Again, the social media goes viral, doesn't it? Um, it seems to be universally unpopular the home kit. Um, I've not found anybody in particular, with one exception, who's liked it. I'm not over endeared to it. Again, I don't know if it will grow on me, that one as well. Um, I doubt it. I probably won't buy it, but I probably wasn't going to buy it anyway, to be honest. I'm trying to curb um, spending on that nowadays. But, um, yeah, home kit, I'm not a fan. Second kit, I'm fine with. I think it's all right. What about you, Jack? Absolutely. I hope it's awful. Like, I, I don't really have that many strong opinions about these things, but it did uh, cause me to s- sort of have a... Um, unconscious hatred of it very very early as soon as i saw it um it it it's it's odd isn't it it just it doesn't look quite right which i think is a shame i'm sure by the end of the season you know it'll be uh loved but it's um at the moment it isn't one of those things where you think oh that that looks okay or that looks you know not okay it's it's very much that that doesn't look good. Um, but I think the away kit is, is fine. Um, it's a bit similar to the um, uh, England women's away kit, but I quite like that one. So it's uh, that's fine in my books. Yeah. Finally then, Richard, before we let you go, just very quickly, um, predictions for the season, where you think we might finish, how we might do. And also if there's any other Albion news, any, any gossip you can throw in, feel free. But, but mainly what's your prediction for the season? Uh, I personally think that if Brighton sell Kukurea, obviously along with Suma, who's already gone, I think it is going to be tough to fill those sort of, um, I spoke to We Are Brighton, he said they are sort of Jupiter-sized holes. Um, <laughs> uh, to fill. So, yeah, I, I think I, I can't quite see us uh, doing as well as uh, ninth, but I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, at halftime during the West Ham game, I think we were maybe down to 13th with results going against Brighton. And yeah. then they ended up finishing ninth. So it's yeah. so close in that kind of middle pack. So I, I personally think Brighton will come 12th. Yeah, I kind of got 12th in my head. I, I do think it's hard to juggle all the elements up because I do think there was so many more games where we could have taken more points and probably should have done. There are certain games where we took points we shouldn't have done as well. But it feels like there's room for improvement. But then, of course, as you said, the loss of these two major players, the, these Jupiter-sized holes uh, that Scott's described, um, are, yeah, I mean, they are um, very big boots to fill, aren't they? I think Caicedo, and maybe to an extent, McAllister might solve one of those elements with the further attacking talent further forward that could fill in if they do so. But, yeah, the left side was really transformative, wasn't it, with Kukurea stepping on. That really opened up a lot of attacking possibilities as well as his excellent defending yeah 
Okay. Well, anyway, we'll see. Uh, I'll get Jack's views in a minute, but I, I know you've got to go now, Richie. So thank you very much for joining us for your debut. I hope you'll join us again at some point, maybe half-time report or something like that. Off-time. Yeah, I'd love to come on. And thanks so much for having me. It's been great. Oh, great. Good. Glad you enjoyed it. And thank you very much. Cheers. We'll see you again. Thank you. Cheers. Excellent. So uh, Richie Mills there. So uh, we're now two. You know, we're rapidly just <laughs> decreasing in numbers, aren't we, as we go through this podcast, uh, Jack? I think um, maybe when I told them it was going to be a five and a half hour spectacular, people got scared off a bit early. I thought you were joking, Russ. So yeah. was a... <laughs> oh, no, no. Now, now we go again for yeah. another four hours. <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't think we have that much to talk about yet. Hopefully, there'll be plenty to talk about after the weekend game. Um, while we're on the subject of the predictions of how we do this season, I mean, I reckon about 12th as well. Maybe if we're lucky, slightly higher. What do you think? Uh, I mean, I think Richard was absolutely right in that there are so few points between, um, you know, 16th and 9th uh, is the reality. But uh, anywhere there, I, I would just like to be comfortable again. I, I really enjoyed that part of last season that, you know, we didn't go into the final month of the season in any particular bother. Um, but yeah, I'm going to be a bit more negative. I, I think we'll finish 14th. I think that there are a couple of teams, um, 13th or 14th, uh, a couple of teams that will do better this year than they did last year. Um, Newcastle in particular, yeah, um, uh, Villa, I expect to do a lot better this year. Um, Everton should do better. <laughs> Whether do Everton well, should do better, but I, I'm not sure about it. There's, there's two teams that I think could be surprisingly low in the table. One's Everton, which perhaps is not so much of a surprise, but the other's Leicester. I think Leicester yeah. might be in. You know, I, I think Brendan Rodgers is fantastic. I think the way they play is fantastic. They're really exciting. They've got loads of great players. But there's something wrong there in in terms of the finances and um, you know what's going on at the club and, and clearly that they've made no signings and that they potentially might lose Fafana and they might lose Madison and Tielemans. You know they're really important players and, and you're starting to look at a squad that's looking a bit thin without the um, and broken up without the money. And of course, um, whilst we've been on the podcast, Casper. Kasper Schmeichel has left Leicester, which yeah. I personally think is probably quite a good thing for Leicester. But, um, you know, that is a player who's been there for 11 years or something. So it's, it's, it's the breakup of the team, isn't it? Yeah. It's been happening. And we've got, obviously, uh, uh, you, you, we've mentioned those players. Schmeichel has gone to Nice. So another another destination, uh, shrewd destination to go to, to spend your time in the south of France. Not too bad. Um, but it, and Vardy's coming towards the end of his peak or going past the really now, isn't he? Um, yeah. So there is the breakup of that team. And I'm not sure that they've got the dynamics in, in place to step things on in the way that, for example, the Albion have got this this planning, we're building ahead. We've got, look at who we've got coming in now. We've got, you know, Casado's only about 20 and Cizo's 18, I think it is. Um, uh, two or three of the other players, like Sarmiento, are that sort of age as well. Um, yes, Leicester have signed some players to try and, build and for fun as one of those but as you said he might end up going anyway yeah. I think if if the dynamics not working too well and then a Champions League team or one of the big six in general comes in you know it's, it's tempting to move isn't it really when when yeah, things aren't I going. mean I'd, I'd even I can't see Fafana staying past this window five million it's about eight five million Chelsea seem to be quite happy to pay to get their 
their players they're interested I and then you've got a you know a back to really of, of Johnny Evans and Vestergaard which is you know I think Johnny Evans is really good but that's a very immobile back two yeah. um, and and the financial fair play issues is is worrying I think for Leicester um, but then at the same time I for years thought you know the second that um, Palace get it wrong and they have to change everything will go wrong and they'll go down and actually the the re- reality of that is you just need to make two or three really clever signings and have a, a vision and have a good manager which I think Leicester do in Brendan Rodgers uh, and that uh, and a bit of faith in that manager and, and you can turn it around pretty easily. Um, hmm. So I'm suspecting, like like me, you're not expecting them to go down, but just have a, a pause. Yeah. And yeah. Maybe below us, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, I would be more worried about Everton. I think yeah. that um, there's something... Calvert-Lewin's out for the opening weekend. Um, you know, he's really struggled with injuries over the last 18 months. And... They have no Richarlison, and you start to look at that, and you go. Yeah, he really bailed them out last season, as yeah. Well. And you start to look at that, and, and of course they've got some some good players. Like I really like Deli Ali, and uh, I really yeah. like Damari Gray, and and they they're clever players, but they're not talismans, are they? They're not they're not going to drag Everton through, and you know I, I don't think Everton can rely on Pickford being as good as he was in the last six months of the season. Um, because I, I think they would have gone down without him. Um, and it, it only takes a good season from Mitrovic, and I think Everton will be, you know, <laughs> potentially yeah. Yeah. swapped out with Fulham. Um, yep. but, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. You know. Just quickly on the, on the broader Premier League, I mean, my, I agree with you about Leicester, I agree with you about Newcastle as a flip side of that. And I agree with you about Everton. Um, I think Forest are going to be all right. Yeah, I, I agree. I think what they're doing is something quite shrewd, which is they're they're making some signings which are pertinent to obviously to survival. Great, but if not survival, then a bounce back, kind of like a little bit like Norwich, I suppose you could say, uh, but maybe with a little bit more spice in there. They've, I think Johnson getting him back on. Um, mm. Probably not a surprise that they were able to secure him for a longer term, but that was crucial. I think that is the most important signing. Jesse Lingard, people a lot of talk about that. I mean, he, I love Jesse. Um, yeah. I'm the biggest Jay Lings well, fan. Uh, I, I thought, yeah, I understand yeah. why Brighton he, fans have issue, but I thought he was fantastic when he's with us. I think yeah. he was fantastic at this um, Look at his showreel, his goals for the Albion. They were good goals, yeah. actually, weren't they? The outside of the. Absolutely, the yeah. But but I also think that, you know, what Forrest have done that's really clever is that they obviously, two two of their star players last year were James Garner and Jed Spence, and, and they lost them without any financial compensation because they were on loan. And instead of going, OK, we need to fill those gaps and we, we can't spend as much, they've gone, right, what we're going to do is get much better players into those positions. Um, and I think there is that's a really clever way of doing things um, because it means that you can then hopefully take that momentum forward and you're not left with the kind of deficiencies that the loans caused. So, yeah, I agree. I think, I think that'd be fine. Yeah. And much said on the Lingard deal, by the way, much has been said about that. Um, but essentially, uh, you know, he's on 200 grand a week, which sounds crazy, but it is a one-year deal. 
if mm. they survive, it's worked. If they don't survive, it's not a problem because they're not committed into the longer term, to put it simply. Um, in terms of wages, if it is 200 grand a week, that's if it's over a calendar year in its entirety, which it probably isn't because they signed him after June, it's probably some, something less. But it's going to be 10.4 million if it's a whole year. If you're buying a player of this quality, you're going to be paying probably more than I would imagine mm. the collective total of the transfer fee plus the wages would be more than that amount. So it's a sh- as a one-off, it's a shrewd move, I think. I think so. I I do worry though. I I think the wage and and you know the overall cost makes perfect sense. And of course, it'll be more than ten point four million because of signing on fee, and that's yeah, the joy of a free agent. But at the same time, I think that the I worry about Forrest there because if he's really good and you know he keeps them up in a season, then similar to Brentford and and Ericsson, you know they will lose him for nothing. Yeah. Um, and rent. and then we'll have to find a way to replace him next season. And I think it makes a lot more sense to kind of, you know, going back into Albion history, look at something like the Vicente deal, you know, that it was very much, it was supposed to be a year, but then he was quite good and we didn't want him wandering off to a lower Premier League club. So added another year and it, it, it didn't quite work out beautifully but it was fantastic while it lasted and I think it's surprising that Forest haven't put a bit of a fail safe in um you know they could have very easily put relegation release clause or a huge wage drop if they'd got relegated I think I was a bit surprised about that one year yeah um yeah I, I agree it, it's a bit of a risky one because it, it's it's short-termist isn't it that's that's the yeah. issue um However, you know, that first year is crucial. There is also, you've got the thing of the first year bounce. Uh, you've seen it with some clubs, Brentford to an extent, mm. last season, certainly Sheffield United, uh, recent past as well. I see Forest doing something similar. I think they'll survive. Oh, yeah. They maybe not by a huge margin, but I think they'll be all right. A, because I think they've got that uh, a really good togetherness. Um, which all teams have when they get promoted, but also they've got a very, very good manager. I think Steve Cooper's superb. Yeah, I agree. And a a pragmatic manager as well, you know. Uh, I think one of the reasons we stayed up was um, because we just didn't come up and we played great football under Hewton in the Championship. And then when we came up, we sort of went pragmatism first. You have to adapt. We've got to survive. And you've got to survive first and foremost. And I think Cooper would do that. I think... You're absolutely right. In one of those teams, will stay up, and I think you know that I, I can't remember the last time three promoted teams went straight back down. Um, it's been a long, long time since that's happened, and I think Forest are probably favourites to stay up um, out of the three. I I think Fulham could be quite good this season. We'll have to wait and see. They'll either do a Fulham and and look great, but go down easily. Or they'll end up being quite good. I, I just think it's Mitrovic has scored about ten goals a season every time he's played in the Premier League, bar one season, and he's always looked really frustrating mm. as a neutral because you sort of go, "Well, he's not really playing up to his potential." But if they're able to get just a little bit more out of him, I think that might be enough for them. He now comes off the back of his record-breaking, <sighs> his best ever championship, uh, absolutely amazing. If he can just transfer just a little bit more than last time, mm. that can make the difference. Because goal scorers, and again, this with Lingard as well at Forest, 
they, they can make the difference to surviving. It's not easy to score goals in general at the level you're at, but it's particularly hard in the Premier League because you're suddenly coming up against so much better defending. Um, they're so much more composed. They, they can do all of the defending that any championship defenders can do, the Premier League, but they can play the ball out. They can play it around mm. you. They can tie you out more so you can get more fatigued in games. But Mitrovic is an old-fashioned kind of proper centre-forward. He gets his head on the ball. He's got power. He's got robustness. He's got savvy. And he's getting more and more experienced. And as I said, he's off the back of his best ever championship campaign. Maybe he could be the difference. I think yeah. Fulham could stay up. I think Forrest will stay up. I do think Bournemouth will go down. 20th place for me. 20th place nailed on. I think Leeds are in big trouble uh, because they've they've signed a few interesting signings, but none of them are used to the Premier League. A load of them are from the American, from the MLS. There's some question marks there. Some of them are interesting. They've they've re-signed some of their youth players to new deals, which is good business, but they've lost... Um, And Calvin Phillips, a player who is such a difference to the the outcome of their results. It's ridiculous how much of a difference he makes. And Rafinha, you know, let's let's face it, he's a brilliant player. Yeah. Um, And and maybe still Jack Harrison as well, you know. Um, Newcastle sound like they really are interested in him. Um, I mean, I, I, I agree. I also think that Everton look slightly more worrisome than Leeds. Really, me. they could be bothered. Um, I and just Saints. What about Saints? Oh, they never go down. Every That's year, right. I predict them to end up in the bottom three. And James Ward Prowse scores twenty-seven free kicks from forty-five yards. That's still so, there. Who knows? So, so, so for the first time in about six years, I'm going to say I don't think Southampton will go down. I think they'll be fine. I also think Hassan Hootel's great, and that they'll. Um, do what they always do and, you know, look lightweight, but get 45 points. So um, you think Bournemouth, Leeds and Everton, but potentially, or Fulham? Uh, Fulham Bour- Bournemouth, Fulham and either Everton or Leeds, I think I've currently got Leeds, but I, I just, you know, I was what I watched the highlights for Blackpool, Everton in pre-season and Everton won 4-2, but it really struggled, Everton. And it was, you know, only the sort of, talent of Delhi Alley and, and a few yeah. other players that got them out of that. Just, and, just a quick curveball. What, what about um, what about Brentford? Because you've got second season syndrome hmm. and strike. Um, they have, uh, I think, obviously, they've lost Ericsson, who made a big difference when things were going a bit stale, and he spurred them on. But they did start well. I, th- I think they might be all right. Wolves is the other one. Um, when, yeah. when I saw them at Mol- Molyneux last season, they were terrible. They were really bad. Um, I don't know how representative that is of the latter part of last season in general, but if they carry on playing as they did when we played them, they're in trouble. No, I agree. I I mean, I think think Brentford will be okay. I think they've made one... They've kept David Rayner, who I think is fantastic, um, and they've made a really clever signing in Aaron Hickey um, from Bologna. I'm, I was a bit disappointed that actually, especially with the way things are panning out, that, yeah. that he wasn't in blue and white stripe this yeah. season, isn't it? Um, and, morning, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. Um, They're off to Donskard as well. Yeah, I was about to say that. And I think that that will be enough for um, for, for Brent if they get him. I think keep Ivan Tony, get, get Donskard, get, they've got Hickey. 
they're starting to build quite a competent squad in, in a way perhaps you know we started to do when we had Murray up front and um in our second and third year in the in the Premier League and I but, thought they did they did become pragmatic mm. as, as required last season as well again talking about you know how how we did it with Chris Hutton and other teams have done it as well um I, I really rate Thomas Frank as well a lot of people he seems to rub up the wrong way. I like him. I don't don't see why. Yeah. Richie doesn't like him at all. He's, uh, oh, doesn't he? Yeah, no, we no. I like him. I think I think Brentford are doing things the right way. I think that he is a uh, you know a, a sort of evolution of that kind of Hutton, somewhere in between Hutton and Potter of pragmatic, but they're also quite fun to watch. And yeah. I think. You know, it, it, I think they'll be okay. I think they'll be down there um, because I, I think that's the nature of the Premier League. But I think they'll end up being absolutely fine. Um, but yeah, it's it's a busier bottom half of the table, I'd say this year. Um, I, I just don't think we're going to get a, a Newcastle or an Aston Villa or um, a, a team like that, perhaps struggling down the bottom because we had that plus um plus the likes of Leeds and Everton we had all of those teams mm. doing, underachieving essentially yeah and Burnley have yeah. stepped on and Burnley yeah as you said um yeah I, I agree it's would, would uh, do you think we should be happy if we finish 14th all things considered Look, I know this is going to be the <laughs> most eye-rolly boring thing that I could possibly say but Every year we're in the Premier League still astounds me. It's uh, it's it's just an absolute like joy having. I was I was saying to a mate on Monday night. Um, I went out for a drink and uh, he's saying, you know, why do you support Brown? I said, well, went to my first game. We were second bottom of the football league. So you know, I've seen us play some pretty dire football, and it's. It's just wonderful getting to go to the Amex and seeing the best players in the world, and some of them play for your team. Like it's, uh, yeah. it, it's, it's really special, and and I, I would be happy uh, if we, you know, ended up sixteenth or something. Um, I would love it if we had a bit of a push on, and I think my view may not be representative of most fans um, who want to see constant progress, but. For me, another year in the Premier League is, is progress and it's fantastic. Just staying in the game. That, yeah. that is the name of the game is staying in the game. I agree with you. And yes, if we can get more success, great. But as you said, you know, what, watching the so-called, and I say that very scornfully, so-called goat, um, shaking his head. As oh, it's brilliant, wasn't it? 4-0. Yeah. It I mean, was you know. sensational. <laughs> I got the giggles. We It was so lovely, that Man United game as well. We sort of... Um, uh, we've we've got a, a really lovely group in front of us, and at the end of the game, we all had a big hug and we were crying, yeah. and um, we just were in hysterics when Ronaldo was hands on hips, shaking his head after we scored the third, and it was like yeah. this this it doesn't get much better than this in the football, does it? Exactly. And coming back to Beach City, a couple of seasons, oh, it was fantastic. Uh, coming yeah. back to draw at Anfield last season, mm. yeah, it, that that's Brighton. That's the team I've. Grown up, admittedly, they were top flight when I first started supporting them. But that's the team I've seen year after year having misery, (laughs) misery upon misery. A stadium fighting even to get a temporary stadium. And now here we are with a proper stadium, a proper squad, really well organised and getting results against 
all these teams, not not even to mention uh, from the North London point of view, for you and I, oh, Jack, was, uh, brilliant. <laughs> it, it was it was space of a week. <laughs> it was brilliant. absolutely fantastic. That was that was a real joy that I didn't, you know, growing up at school, I, I just thought never going to experience that in my life. Um, you know, and, and to do it in a week was just brilliant. <laughs> It's brilliant. it's brilliant. I'm really looking forward to that part of the um, uh, Amazon Prime Arsenal documentary. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking to see Arteta do something weird and then uh, Brighton walk on the pitch and, and <laughs> pulverise Arsenal. We're recording this on Wednesday and the the all or nothing Arsenal documentary starts up or some of it or all of it is out from tomorrow. So you can all check that out and enjoy the uh, the Albion bit. We'll fast forward to that bit. Yes, absolutely. Um the season starts this weekend for us and for everyone else in the Premier League. Um, it's already started in the EFL. A couple of things to mention. First of all, a curious lack of build-up on Sky Sports News. I don't know if you've noticed this. They don't really seem to be bothered with it. And I had to check if they were still doing live coverage hmm. because I thought they seemed really nondescript about the whole thing. They, they do have live games still, but... Um, it seems to have gone under the radar a bit, maybe because of the women's Euros, I guess, has distracted attention away. But um, it did all start the weekend. I don't know if you follow it much now that we're not in it. Have you become a, a bit of a... I did, I, did watch, um, I did watch the highlight show, which has returned to ITV, I think, yeah. um, which yeah. is great, great news. But I think that um, I was actually in Lincoln this weekend, not for the football, but... You know, I, I checked and they managed to get, I think, 9,000 in, which is, Brilliant. you know, a great and a, it's it's uh, it's great to see football back, isn't it? Um, yeah. On that subject, actually, I was going to mention um, Bradford, who've been in, stuck in League Two for ages. They've been getting five-figure crowds, partly due to a very good price on their season tickets, but they are a big club. They had uh, a Yorkshire derby to start with, a home to Doncaster, which was a bit of a bore fest, I think. But they had 19,000 people there. This is League Two. It's yeah, and, and, and I've got a great friend who's, whose dad's a, a Bradford season ticket holder but lives in North London and goes up um, oh, to, to the majority of games. Which, so this uh, is locals, you know. This is yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I think, you know, people are tribal. People love their team. It's one of the best things about football. It's what separates it from most other sports, I think. Um, and, and that's the joy of having club football back, isn't it? Um, yeah. It's a big city in a big county, and they do like to mention big yeah. a lot when they talk about that. One such club, of course, we've we've already uh, mentioned Leeds. Another one is Sheffield Wednesday, who are amongst the fancy teams to okay. maybe finally come back out of League One. Um, unlikables with prospects is the way I'd like to describe them. Well, they are the biggest club in, in Yorkshire. We all know that. Massive Sheffield Wednesday. So they should really be getting out of the um, of, of League One this year, shouldn't they? They should be in the Champions League, really. I don't, I don't absolutely. According to some of their fans, at least. Um, but it, I did find it funny. Um, they've already turned on David Stockdale. I had a, a little look on uh, Owl Talk. Um, and and then they're, they're not a fan having conceded three on his debut, yeah. despite not being at fault for any of them. I thought, but um, well, you know how it is. They're yeah. brutal. Three all draw at home to Portsmouth, who are also fairly well fancied to maybe mm. finally get out of League One. Same theme. Um, a few other bits just to mention, actually. Team that did get out of League One last season, Wigan. They've been up and down, up and down. They've had their finances finally sorted. They're under new ownership, um, but that's not the important stuff. 
getting promoted to the championship is not the important stuff. The important stuff is they've got a new mascot called Krusty the Pie. <laughs> um, apparently, they put a job advert out for it saying that the applicant should be bubbly, enthusiastic and fun. Um, they have got their man or woman. I don't know who it is, but um, that, that's the important stuff, isn't it, Jack? That is the important stuff. And what we all want to see is West Brom versus Wigan now. So we can see Boiler Man versus Krusty the Pie. <laughs> You, you, you just said it. Yeah, that is the name. That's of the, the dream, uh, and especially if they can get that uh, tiny car they used for the women's Euros uh, to <laughs> deliver to deliver the ball okay. to the centre circle straight after. I, I don't know if this is a laugh or cry when I see that, that controlled car thing. It's awful, isn't it? Really, that's what football's about, Russ. That's yes. that's what we why we watch the game. Uh, a couple of other bits lines on the EFL. You mentioned best goal you've seen at Wembley might have been that tune goal. Was it you that said that? I think it was. Or was it uh, I think best international goal, definitely. Probably, oh, goal. Yeah, yeah, probably not quite as good as, um, Alec, was it Alex Rebel who scored that stunning volley from yeah. 45 yards or something? You know what? You're right. That was a sensationally good goal. That's what, one of the things I was going to pick you up on, but you've, you've clarified with the international thing. The other one was a guy called Gary Alexander for Millwall. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that one? But yeah, you... never, never missed a penalty. Is that yeah. him? Yeah. Oh no, that's um, that's uh, I've forgotten his name. That's uh, something else. Alexander. Graham Alexander. Graham. Yeah. Graham. I think it's Gary Alexander. I think that's his name. Mm. He's not a very well known player, particularly even at Millwall. But he was in the final, the playoffs. I'm not even sure if they won. I don't think they did. But he's he kind of searing, cutting volley from about 40 yards or 35 yards. Um, that beat the goalie at the near post and the goalie genuinely had no chance. Mm. There were shades of Gary Nelson, Brighton, Brighton at Brentford in the 80s, the game mm. that 150,000 Albion fans apparently were all at. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. Gary Alexander, check it out on YouTube, guys. That was the best goal I've probably ever seen, never mind at Wembley. Um, and the irony is I don't think they even won the game. I'm not sure about that, but uh, yeah. But there, there are some brilliant goals in the EFL every season. We've already had some. I've got to mention Tom James of Orient. Um, he had a 40-yard pile drive with his left foot into the top corner. It's as good a goal you'll see this season. That's already up there for me. Um, I've also sh- should mention that um, I think it's John Moncur, former West Ham player, who I'm hoping to get on the podcast in the preview to the West Ham game. As it turns out, he's my um, my cousin's husband's brother-in-law. <laughs> really close then. <laughs> yes. So on that basis, I might be getting him in uh, pre-West Ham. His son, George Monker, who's... Hey, Luton, a, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. And yeah. Well, he's, uh, he scored in his debut for the penalty as well in that same game for Orient in their win. Lewis Travers scored a worldie as well for Blackburn, by the way, at the weekend. Um, Burnley, my man Scott Twine, who I really rated at MK Dons, he's gone mm. to Burnley. Burnley have lost Pope, they've lost me, they've lost Todd Tarkovsky, they've lost McNeil, they're probably going to lose Cornell, uh, Maxwell Cornell, Cornet? Cornet. Cornet to, I think it's going Everton, to Everton, West Ham. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, they seem to have reinvented themselves. They're playing a more entertaining style. Vincent Company's come in, interesting. Burnley fans are not used to this, surely. They must be thinking, what's, what's this? <laughs> what's all this passing going yes. on here? Um, they, they won away at Huddersfield, opening game of the season, Friday night. Um, my man Twine came on as a sub and hit the post from a long distance with a free kick. He's a specialist. Look out for Scott Twine for free, quick, free kicks even. Um, 
uh, pretty good. Interesting to see what Burnley do. I can't stand them, I have to say. However, at least they might be more palatable to watch, I, I think, at this stage, maybe. Do you, do you fancy them bouncing back up? Yeah, I, I mean, they they probably should. There's a lot of teams, though, at the, around the top of that championship that, that should come back up. I, hmm. I mean, I hate to say it. I think Watford will be back up. I think oh, they, boring. They they just <laughs> in a very boring way. They, yeah. they just know what to do now to get back up. Um, uh, and really, West Brom should be coming back up as well. Um, yeah. it, it, they're starting to sort of linger a bit too long, I think, and and that's very unlike them. Uh, so there's just a lot of teams I think at the moment who are. Uh, really should be getting out of the championship. But that's why it's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, it's all so competitive. Each of the divisions and the national as well are all so exciting, so competitive. And, um, <laughs> and my cat's attacking me with her tail. Um, and um, they're, they're always entertaining. The quality may not be as good as other divisions, but it's always entertaining. It's always good to see. Um, I don't know if you remember Pete Wilde, who used to manage Oldham and got them on a great cut run. And he was interviewed a lot at the time. I can't remember who they played. Um, he was very unlucky not to get AFC Halifax promoted from the National League last season. As a result, unfortunately for them, they've now lost him to Barrow. They got off to a winning start against a team that's followed them into the League Two this season, Stockport. They went 3-0 up. It ended up 3-2. So uh, honours to Pete Wilde and to Barrow, which is interesting. Um, but that's not the important stuff. The other important stuff is Lee Tomlin. Seasoned campaigner. Oh. Did you see what happened? Yes, it was it was the <laughs> highlight of the weekend, wasn't it? Really, <laughs> talk us through it. Then go on, go on. So, I mean, I'd have to refer to my dad to see if it was a correct decision, but um, he he fouled a player and, yeah. and stood in front of the free kick, yeah. and then quite a while. Yeah. as as the referee told him to move away, he, he kicked the ball petulantly about four yards away, and um, and the referee ran over and. and he actually rolled it. Actually, he rolled it through the the potential free kick takers. Oh, yeah, with his hands. Actually, yeah, yeah. And then, so, and then yeah. it was yeah. a player sort of ran through to push him, and he, the referee told him to go away. And he tried to steal the ball back, and it's just bizarre, really, wasn't it? Again. Yeah. yeah, it's just bizarre. He just sort of decided that the rules wouldn't apply to him for three minutes <laughs> or something, and that the referee would just let it all slide, and he could be. You know, completely petulant, and and uh, I mean, they defended him on the ITV highlights and said it was a, it should have just been a yellow and uh, talking to. But I, I think it was continued descent. Um, yeah. It was it was time wasting descent, and yeah. he, he's an idiot. I mean, he, he sure. stood for quite a while in the way. Even for the highlights, they showed yeah. it was quite a while. He was standing there, obstructing things. Then he rolled the ball through the player's legs. So that's that's a booking, 100%. Yeah. Then he kicked the ball away again um, in the same way that, um, who was it, Brighton at Villa kicked the ball away. I can't remember who it was now, um, which Peter hated. He was so fuming about the fact we got booked for it. But he did that again. So on that basis, he should get booked again. The ref let him off, so he's still on one yellow. And when the, the other player came over and tried to push him or do something very incidental, he fell over as if he'd just been kicked violently on the shins. And that's actually, I think, why he got the second booking. 
which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought he was trying to like wrestle the ball off of the player or something, and it was he that's when the player well, came yeah. and it was just like it was just time wasting, wasn't it? And it was it was ridiculous, ridiculous first game of the season. Yeah, well. exactly. And he's, I mean, he's a good player, certainly for the lower levels. He's not, he doesn't have an athletic physique. Let's put it that way. Yeah. He's in the Lee Trundle mould. He's in the Matt Letizier mould, I guess, with extra injuries. He's, he's kind of not a, he's not a thin guy, but he is very technical. He's very good. Uh, he'll be a big loss to any team and he'll, he'll get a one match ban. It's stupid. Um, my final word on EFL, if you've got anything you want to throw in, feel free, Jack. My, my final word was watch out for Crawley. They've signed Dominic Telford from Newport, which is a brilliant signing. They've changed things around a lot. They've got these um, Bitcoin or um, uh, what's the other expression? Uh, non-fungible tokens. Uh, yes, non-fungible tokens. Um, NF, NFTs. Um, owner who's come in, I think American, I believe. Uh, and he seems to be doing some interesting stuff at Crawley. Uh, they've rebuilt things. They've got Kevin Betsy in as the uh, as the manager now, former player who was with Man United's youth set up, I think, or Man City's youth. Um, looks interesting. Look out for them. I reckon they could do quite well this season. Uh, but it was an entertaining opening weekend. I'm sure I'm going to try and get to a couple of games to tick off grounds this season. Um, I don't know if you do all that ground hopping stuff as well, do you, Jack? Uh, not apart from with the Albion, um, which I, I've been to about 50% of the 92. Um, but, but that's what happens when you uh, you grow up supporting a team in the bottom tier that eventually get to the top tier. Yeah, I think we've ticked off more than Arsenal fans, haven't we? In yes, definitely. <laughs> Excellent. So that pretty much wraps it up for me. Um, uh, from my side of things um, obviously there's plenty more to look forward to in the coming months and weeks we hope you enjoyed the Peter Ward um, interview that we did most recently if you haven't check it out it's well worth it legend of course uh, of Albin Solwart and he's just turned 67 as well happy birthday to Peter um, I've also just done a Film Fives podcast with my mate Phil also an Albin fan um, where we give our top fives on a particular subject we've gone for heist movies this time check that out plus our back catalogue as well if you fancy it um we're part of sports social thanks again as always to them and also if you can review us please do five star reviews will be welcome it will help our um, algorithms and various other ailments that we have um <laughs> so on that note that signs us off for this episode i have also spoken this week to um the little hampton town chairman robert mcaleese um initially with the concept of doing a non-league special, having trouble getting hold of the other people I want to get hold of. So that may appear at the end of this podcast. If it does, you'll hear that in a moment. If not, stay tuned for a non-league Sussex uh, podcast coming up soon. Either way round, we'll be back with a match report and review of the Man United game. I'll be up there. Peter will be up there. Jack, are you going as well? Uh, I will be there, yes. Um, no, sorry, I won't be there. I won't be there. I'll be watching on TV, um, but I'll be at the following five fixtures. Um, so. Superb. And so a quick epilogue to this latest episode. We've just been down to the Fans Forum on Thursday. It is Thursday the 4th of August. The season kicks off in just a couple of days, well, three days' time for us, a couple of days' time for the rest. Well, one of them's on Friday, but anyway, that's not the point. <laughs> I'm, I'm here with Dom, Dom Wales, and I'm with Alan Dodds. Um, Dom, first of all, you enjoyed the forum? Usual classic range of questions. I did, yeah. It was a classic range from, um, you know, your non-dairy milks to um, 
you know, how they can fit more buses on a coach to, you know, whatever. But uh, no, very interesting. Um, I found it very insightful. Yeah. Very good questions. Um, especially obviously with this unusual situation this season with the, this imposed break because yeah. of the World Cup. So, um, yeah, I think overall it was a very, very enjoyable fans forum. And, of course, I, you know, I did manage to get the chance to ask Graham afterwards whether he wanted a second-hand Cooker Railway. Yes, you did, yeah. You know, maybe uh, soiled from Leeds away, but unfortunately he declined the request, you know, if, if he wanted it, but um, politely declined. But that's understandable. So, yeah, any, maybe Alan, yeah. before I whittle on I anymore. Mean, the problem is supply and demand, though, isn't it? A well, lot of people exactly. are looking to gather them now. And, uh, well, I mean, but maybe it'll be a collector's item, yeah. not so... Not yeah. so long away, so yeah. Amid, amid speculation, of <laughs> well, course, indeed. about his departure. Yeah. <laughs> um, firmly put down by Mr Barber yesterday uh, for all the social media nonsense that was going on. And fair play to him, to be honest. And, and tonight right. as well. And tonight again, yeah. yes. Yeah. Good, good. And, Alan, did you enjoy the forum? I really enjoyed it, yeah. It's the first time I've been to one of these because uh, the more, re more recent ones have been online because of the COVID situation. Yeah. But uh, one thing, it was nice actually to come into another part of the ground. We would have been in this salubrious area. Yeah, the Windbaxter. The Windbaxter area. Mayor so Windbaxter nice. yeah. And there was a big turnout. There's a good turnout of people, yeah. which was good. Yeah. And it was, there were some good questions. It's always yeah. difficult in this situation uh, to ask the questions. But the timing with the Cucurella situation was interesting. And I think they must have agreed in the green room behind that they kind of tackled that one straight off. Yeah. yeah. So I think uh, Johnny kind of asked mm. the question straight away. Straight away, yeah. So yeah. they got that one out of the way because yeah. that, that could have been a, quite a theme really of the questions, really. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So I mean, I managed, I managed to talk to um, to both Paul Barber and, and Graham yeah. separately yeah. after our post matches, if you like. Yeah, <laughs> they've been they've been very good uh, having photographs taken, uh, which is really good. And I yeah. managed to say to Paul that I. I was very happy with what the club did last night with the announcement. I thought they kind of knocked that handle on the head because Twitter was going absolutely yeah. furious and WhatsApps and all, all kinds of things. And basically that club announcement just basically, bang, yeah. it's, it closed it right down. And today it's been really... Yeah. Really is, quiet, so it's really been really good. So. This, this is, of course, on the basis that there was claimed a £52.5 million deal had now been agreed. Exactly. And that yes. it was all going ahead, which yeah. apparently is not the case at all at this stage. No, no. Or at least as we record, anyway. No, because yeah. I think, I think uh, you know, at the end of the day, Man City, yeah. the, these big top, top, top six clubs, they may have better players and, players and, 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 and win trophies. But there's one thing that they can't, we, we can actually match them for, is how yeah. we actually want to do our negotiations, how we want to do our business. Yeah. Off, off field business, and we should, you know, and, and, you know they, they can't control that, and that's what no. we need to do. And, so. and there's no reason for us as a club to be bullied by yeah, that. Absolutely. And, and why shouldn't, you know, at the end of the day, business is business. Yeah. It's not like you can go into, I don't know, okay, there's, there's a certain amount of haggling one can do on a certain, but it's like going into, I don't know, Tesco's and saying, oh, your pint of milk is this. Yeah. And then going, oh, actually, I just want to pay 40p for it. Yeah. You know, I mean, there was a pretty bit on Twitter when <coughs> Inland City were bitching, the fans were bitching about us not playing ball with their plans. There was a great analogy saying, just gone in, had a lovely meal. It's um, a £55 meal. And um, we wanted to pay, uh, the ingredients are £15. And we wanted to pay £30 for this meal, but they're saying we should pay 55 And we were really annoyed that you're not accepting our £30 yep. in this restaurant. Yeah. You know, that's basically a great analogy, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. That's where we were at with them. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's... Yeah, and then, and then and then uh, with Mr. Potter, I actually I, I'm not, I'm, I don't feel embarrassed by saying this, but I actually told him I loved him. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, quite it's right. Yeah, yeah. So a little bit of man love there, yeah. and uh, no, because I think he's done a fantastic yeah. job. I'm so proud of the club and the way you know, yeah. the way yeah. things are going, and I'm really looking forward to 
to the start of the season. Mm. Yep. You know, uh, let's see how, how it goes. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I flagged up the fact that um, he's got a 24% win rate without the beard, 32% win rate with it. <laughs> <laughs> he, he didn't seem convinced that, that was a telling factor in uh, any upturning results. But, um, you know, coincidence? Maybe not. I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, on that note, we'll wrap it up. But it's been good. Good to see you guys. Yeah, ahead good of the, to see you again the weekend. Uh, after the season. You're going to United, aren't you? I'm no, not going to United, no, no. I'll see you for the first uh, home game. Yeah, I'll be there. Dom, so, you are going. I am. Fact, go- no, uh, yeah, I will be there uh, Man- for Manchester United away. Yeah. Excellent. Great. Yeah. Um, so I'll see you there. Absolutely. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Excellent. Cheers, fellas. Until the weekend. And so as the week progressed, the saga continued. There was a further twist. As you will all by now know, a deal has now been formally announced by the club for the sale of Mark Kukurea. He has now gone for a fee that they didn't disclose, but which Sky Sports News, amongst other outlets, are claiming is a deal to £63 million, either immediately or through add-ons, who knows which. That's what they're claiming. The club aren't saying, but a deal has now finally been agreed and it has been announced as being a club record transfer. So Mark Kukurea does go to Chelsea. Uh, The saga is over. Uh, The other part of that equation has also now been announced, which is that uh, Colwell is coming to the Albion, but only, at least at the moment, on the basis of a season-long loan. So he's joined us. Welcome to the club to him. Let's hope he can hit the ground running if he is involved in the match day squad for the weekend. Let's see how that goes. But that has finally concluded this preview, so we can now publish it. Hope, you're in, hope you've enjoyed it, and um, we'll move on with our match report Uh, probably being recorded on Monday. We also have our non-league special still to come. We've put that back till next week, so stay tuned to that in the coming few days. In the meantime, thanks for listening, and as always, stand or fall, up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network.